everyone. Welcome to Antidote Stories in Medicine. This is Christine. We are back. I am so happy to be talking to you guys again. I took a little bit of time off just for some self-care and mental health and just figuring things out. The podcast release schedule may be a little bit wacky, so just bear with me because life gets a little bit out of control sometimes. So I decided instead of doing something like seasons for the time being, I'm just going to keep releasing episodes as I get them and keep it going. If it changes, I will let you know, but I'm very happy to be releasing another episode. Just so you know, in the true fashion of my life, the first couple of minutes of this episode got completely deleted. And thankfully, I had a backup recording that was not nearly as good, but it was okay. So the audio for like five minutes sounds kind of crummy. Either skip through it or just bear with it because it gets a lot better. Just so you know, just be warned. But this week's episode is with another podcaster, and I am so happy to introduce Kim. Hi, Kim. How you doing? Heyo. Thanks for having me. It's nice to have you. We actually connected on Twitter. Mm-hmm. The magical world of Twitter. The magical world of Twitter, which I was not familiar with Twitter, like, until the podcast started. It's My sis- seriously a magical land. I don't even know what I'm doing on there half the time. <laughs> I think you t- you tweeted something and I made like some really sarcastic snarky comment and that's how it Oh, I was like ended- this is this is my people right here. Yeah, I think I <laughs> made like a pole dancing joke about IV poles oh, and yeah, like, that's right. And then this back and forth and I was like, "Oh, someone with a sick and twisted sense of humor." Just I like this this random podcast that's tweeting. And it's so funny because my sister is a non-medical person. She's a very like project management, political kind of person. And she's like been on Twitter since it, you know, started to exist. And she's telling me how you should engage on Twitter. And and it's different for the medical world. It's not really the same. And so she's like, you should follow these people and you should tweet these things. And I was like, no, no, no. Stripper and drug jokes. Oh, that's yeah. really how you should be doing it. <laughs> I think that my thing on Twitter, because I know that, I mean, there's literally, like, the hashtag of med Twitter and, like, nurse Twitter Mm -hmm. to connect to more healthcare-related ones, is that it's half, like, articles that are actually really relevant to your practice, and then half, like, horrible memes and awful jokes that you can really only tell within the company of other healthcare people, or else everyone's going to think you're disgusting and a horrible person. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that's basically what it is on Twitter, I think, for healthcare. It's like, uh, well, that and making sure you don't violate HIPAA when you share a story or, like, a patient talking to you and, and what patients say. There's literally a Twitter out there, like, an account called, like, Shit Patients Say. <laughs> I feel like that's a big, uh, big no-no. Yeah, that's risky. That's risky. <laughs> I just like to share sometimes, you know, some of the crazier things in the ER, both on Twitter and on my podcast. So, about what you do, you are an ER nurse. Yeah, so I'm an ER nurse. Um, Right now, I actually do travel nursing, so I feel like that's given me a little bit more, mm, I guess you you can say, uh, fuel for for some more interesting (laughs) stories. Um, But also just seeing a lot of the country and and being able to interact with a lot of various different communities, which in turn means seeing a lot of different medical emergencies. And the whole entire reason I think I started my podcast was I had been doing travel nursing for about a year and a half, and I had met some really cool people from it. And when you travel nurse, you're driving from your next assignments, and it's like, 
you know, you have these 17, 20 hour drives that you either break up or sometimes depending on when your assignment starts, you have to go all the way through. And so podcasts and audiobooks and music kind of keep you awake. So a lot of my friends, we kept going back and forth. We're all travel nurses. We were trying to share with each other like podcasts and we were just talking, shooting the breeze like you do. And, uh, we were just like, man, we should make a podcast. And we actually thought about a few of us doing it, but nobody really actually pulled the, pulled the trigger on it until I did. So now they're all just like, oh, well, you did it. It's fine. Um, maybe one day they'll be on there. I don't know. It's a call out to my friends out there who need to get on the show. But there is. I mean, there's so much that, you know, you see going coast to coast. And even if, you know, you stay at an ER for a while, you see a lot. But I could say that I've amassed a lot of stories in the past three years I've done travel nursing at this point. And um, I've been an ER nurse for like seven years now. So it's, it's. I mean, I, I always say like I'm pretty much like a baby. But then I work night shift and I realize like I'm actually an elder <laughs> on night shift. <laughs> Uh, that whole culture of night shift, uh, especially in the ER, is that that's where a lot of the new nurses end up. So me being like, oh my gosh, I'm so new, turns into me being the only one who knows how to do something. And I'm the traveler. So it's like, I don't even know where your equipment is, but I know how to do what you need to do. <laughs> Get me the stuff and I'll show you how to do it. <laughs> exactly. It's a lot of me going, where is this at? Okay. Can you bring that to me real quick and then like show me where it is afterwards? Thank you. <laughs> So you've been travel nursing for three years. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, It's been literally a journey. I've been through what, too many vans. What's been the most interesting ER placement that you've had? Um, I don't know if it's necessarily the most interesting, but I would say the one that was like the one that I, I saw a lot, uh, or I should say where I, I branched a lot of my stories off of, um, or maybe I should actually backtrack. Um, the one that I was like, cause I had been thinking for a while, maybe I should do a podcast. I listened to enough of them. I could probably do that. Like every yeah. other person that podcasts, right? Right. I can talk a lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, oh, it can't be that hard. Lo and <laughs> right. behold it is. Um, yeah. it, it probably was right around, well, I, I would say it's actually when I was back in Arizona. Arizona is my home state and I took a contract out there um, that was actually really challenging, not because of the patient load, but because of the dynamics of the ER. So mm -hmm. that's when I started noticing a little bit more about why I like travel nursing versus staying actually full-time as staff anymore. But if we're talking more about patient stories, that would be a little while later when I was at uh, one of my assignments in Texas, where I saw a lot of people who got bit by snakes. Oh, God. So I was like, I was like, oh, okay, that's a whole different ball game. Even though I'm from Arizona, a lot of us know not to mess with snakes. I guess in Texas, they don't <laughs> care. So, uh, <laughs> so I actually, that was the first time in a long time I had to go back into the vaults of my mind, aka Google in my pocket, and um, figure out about anti-venom and, and things to look out for. So that was actually a nice refresher in terms of seeing that. Um, I haven't really encountered that too much. And, but, you know, you go from different region to region. I've been East Coast to West... Wait. I've been East Coast to West Coast to East Coast to West Coast. I'm still on the West Coast as of right now. Um, so I've been back and forth. I've been to the South. I've been... Actually, I've not been too much in the North, but I have definitely done a few few assignments in the south i've done a few on the coast 
the East Coast, and I've, I've been in the Pacific Northwest a couple times. And I will say, like, in every ER, there are certain things that are familiar, that trend, <laughs> and you're just like, okay, uh, this is everywhere. And then you talk to the newer nurses, because we were talking about how being a night shift, that's usually the shift I am, that's where you have more newer nurses. And, you know, I talk to them, and it's kind of just like, I could tell that they're frustrated already, which to me concerns me greatly. Yeah. That that they're so frustrated and they feel, I, I suppose, I don't want to say burnout because I, I mean, when you're just starting out, it's hard to say that you have burnout, but I could tell that they are slowly trending that way if there isn't somebody there to be like, you need to take time for you. This is yeah. not your life. Yeah. Somebody put it great the other day, actually, where they said, I love my profession, but I hate my job. And I think that's so important to have that distinction, especially because I work in the ER, but throughout all of healthcare, it's like, yeah, I love being a nurse, but some days I hate my job as much as the next person does. Yeah. And I think that is so true about EMS, too, is you see people that have only been in the profession for like six months or a year and they get so jaded so fast and a lot of it comes from like a really toxic culture they're like so excited and they're so happy to like save lives and do all this shit and that's fantastic but then you have some shitty cigarette smoking beer bellied asshole with a you know firefighter mustache that's like no kid you need to hate everybody and like and that's a big part of my podcast too is like no, it's okay to really like what you do and it's okay to find joy in certain moments and then it's okay to be upset about things and then back away from it. Like, you, we can enjoy this having been experienced and still be tough as nails, but not jaded as fuck all the time. Like, well, that's okay. I, I always <laughs> say, yeah, and I always say that, you know, I I had my own bout of burnout oh, within, yeah, within like three years of my profession to the point where I stepped back for five to six months and I went and I hightailed it to Australia and I <laughs> was not a nurse at all. Like I had a major, my dad calls it my gap year that I condensed into five to six months because I was, I mean, I was still licensed and stuff, but I had just, I had had enough. I was like, there's got to be more to nursing. I don't even know if I want to do this anymore. I got a degree. I work so hard. I get people who literally yell at me every day and I, I don't, I don't want to be in that if that's not what I'm supposed to do. So I went and I hightailed it over there and I had, I had fun not being a nurse, but like it was within, I would say three weeks that I was like, I really, really like what I do. And like taking that step back from it was exactly what I needed and like hit that reset button. And when I came back, I was like, I'm going to do travel nursing because then I can merge together two of the things that I like, which is not being having to commit to a place. <laughs> I am a person that does not like commitment. I am, I, I, I have a lot of exes who say the same thing. Um, <laughs> but, but I also like the fact that, you know, I can go from ER to ER and, and be a really good support person and actually bring other stuff to different ERs. That's the cool thing about travel nursing is that I see how something's done in one system and I go, that's a so much of a, like, that is a better way of doing something that I didn't think of. And then I could go to a hospital in a different state and show somebody else how to do it. And then all of a sudden, you start to see more and more people doing that or adopting mm -hmm. that system. Yeah. Or you see something that is maybe 
not as good in a system and you can give them input and you don't come across as being arrogant or snobby. You're just saying, hey, I saw how this worked in this other hospital. You might want to try it. Yeah, it's good to have perspective. And I think people get so bogged down in just the everyday or maybe that's the only job that they've ever had. And it's the way we've always done things. And oh, because we've always done it this way is the worst answer for why you're doing something. So that's a awesome point about travel nursing that I didn't think of because I've never traveled nurse. <laughs> I've never traveled like that. Well, people always go like, what does it mean to be a travel nurse? And I mean, the condensed version is just like, well, you know, you move from state to state every three months and you move from different hospital to a different hospital. But I mean, I can make lasting friendships with the staff there. Um, you know, I'm living there. So it's not like I'm flying in, working my shifts and flying out. Although some people do do that because they have their own family situations or whatever. But for the most part, people live in the place that they work and they're in the community and they're there to explore it. So it's like I gain an appreciation for where I am, even though I'm only there for three months at a time. Yeah. And it's like that community becomes my community. And I mean, to this day, I'm still in touch with people I've worked with years ago. You know, I have my Southern family from some of my assignments. They'll mail me stuff just like cards or something or or you know I've donated to a few things for their kiddos whatever but it's like you know you can create friendships and, and relationships with people going from place to place every three months the terms of lasting though everybody always talks about what's it like to date in that and yeah I can tell you it's just abysmal so that's a whole <laughs> other thing that I won't bring into but for the most part I mean it's it's scratched the itch that I I needed in order to reset and really remain happy within this profession because this this job drags you the hell down like it kicks the shit out of you sometimes yeah and I mean working from emergency perspective like we have it's like you see shit that nobody else should see but you see it numerous times in different forms and it's just like most people would be devastated by it but you got 10 hours left of your shift yeah so you gotta nut up and go for it yeah Exactly. And it's it's so hard to wrap my mind around that sometimes about how, like, I can walk into a patient's room and know that somebody has passed away, like, two hours before you came in for whatever it is you came in for. Right. You came in for toe pain. And yeah, there you go. There was a family just grieving over the loss of someone in here an hour beforehand. And you don't know that, but I know that. And that's still in my mind. You know, I mean, I never worked yeah. in the ER as a nurse, but... It's that same thing of being in the ambulance, too. It's I would go pronounce someone dead or go bring a code to the hospital. And it was like the most physically exhausting thing because you're dragging them out of their house and they're pretty heavy and you know, like everything goes wrong. And you're doing like full on CPR. Right. That is an exhausting process. And then you go Don't to a dialysis how hall. exhausting it is. <laughs> and then you go bring someone to an appointment and you're like, and they're like, you're late and you're like, you I I, you don't know what I just did. You have no idea the like super. Oh, my dog's upset. My dog agrees. He's very upset. <laughs> He's very fired up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so do you think you'll ever stop travel nursing? I'm sure everyone asks you that all the time. I always do like this thing like, uh, you know, OK, I've reached another year. Have I been anywhere that I want to go back to that I can see myself staying back to? And the answer for the past three years has been no. So um, and that's not to say that I'm not open to it. I know people who've traveled for years and then they find that hospital that they really want to go back to. 
Uh, I have a friend who recently accepted a full-time job after traveling for 10 years. Wow. But then again, she also traveled for 10 years. So it's kind of like, yeah. I'm kind of, I'm good with this life. Uh, my family, you know, supports it a lot. And I've worked out some stuff where um, I, I'll take an assignment closer to home so that I can actually check in and, and be with my family for three months. So it is kind of nice in that respect, but then it's like I can leave for, for the rest of the year and then I could do stuff and then come back and, and take another assignment. So I don't see myself stopping anytime soon, but I'm sure there will be a point where I'm going to say like, oh, I want to maybe, maybe not so much stop because I, I, I want to go to a different hospital, but maybe I'll stop because I want to go into a different venture. Mm. And I always think that's the cool thing with nursing is that you know, I, I'm working emergency now, but who's to say in the next 10 years, I might not switch to a different specialty right. um, and, and pick up like per diem in the emergency. I always will have my heart in emergency, but other stuff interests me. I, I, it's kind of fun being in, in nursing because you're, you're able to, if as long as somebody's able to take a chance on you or you get into a program, you can do a lot within it and you can do just so much. I just feel like it's always expanding. I mean, I have friends who do, you know, home health stuff, but then they also do telehealth. You know, they're they're the on-call people that you call the nurse lines for. And and they love it because, you know, for their situation and their family, maybe they have to stay at home, but they still want to be a nurse. So it's it's great that there's so much that you can do within this profession. And I think that helps with, you know, kind of going back to burnout and stuff. That kind of helps to keep things fresh for people yeah. is that you can change gears and you don't always have to feel like, God, I'm stuck in this. Right. Like, no, you're not. Yeah, you, you're you never. Really, you, you really can branch out or even reduce that. Yeah. I think as nurses, we give so much for every single shift we're on that we don't realize we can reduce our load and take some of that pressure and, and some of that those outside forces off of us if we switch gears or go down part-time because we're we're scared in a way maybe or we don't like the idea of change like we were talking about before yeah I mean even within our profession it's hard to accept change so I also think we're generally very intense people I know myself I'm I like was changing jobs and then I already have a per diem job and this opportunity came back up to do like one day a week going back into addiction medicine, which I really liked. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do it because my new job only wants like four days a week. And then I was like, I don't need three jobs and a podcast. Like, I'm going to lose my mind. Like, I'm already it's it's a very tenuous grasp on reality at the moment. <laughs> so like, but I will work myself into the ground because that's just what Absolutely. I do because I love everything and I want to I want to sample everything and why can't I and then I was like no because YOLO I'm, I'll be uh, yeah like <laughs> but it's like no 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 you can't do that you need to like chill the fuck out and just pick one thing and do it well or just pick three out of five things and do them pretty well <laughs> and, and right yeah and that's you gotta it pace yourself yeah. you know it's that whole it's that whole marathon not a sprint thing i think right. that's especially true especially when in are. clogs <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't okay can we just talk about that real quick i cannot get on board the dance goes what is it alegria i can't get on board that there's a there's a tech i work with that wears crocs and i just always want to like take them off their feet and throw them in the decon room because really crocs really i have dance goes and 
I only wear them to walk my dog in them because I can just slip them on and they're really sturdy and they usually don't stick into mud. So yeah, but they just feel like they're great. I don't know. I I can't. I I wear my sneakers. I have always worn sneakers. I tried somebody's on at their house one time. I was like over at somebody's house and we were hanging out and they're like, oh, do you want to try on my dance goes? And I was like, I can't. I can't commit to the height thing. It's again, <laughs> that, that commitment issue. And I just was like, I just feel like I'm wearing wedges. And you're going to teeter over. I did wear yeah. them when I was, I wore them as a visiting nurse. So for anyone who doesn't know, dance goes are these like super thick clogs that nurses wear and they're like they're really well made and they're this is not an ad for dance goes although if you want to sponsor me <laughs> that would be not SponCon. this would be fantastic <laughs> if you want to sponsor my podcast but i i loved them when i wore them but i was a visiting nurse like in the boston area and so i'm going out to people's houses in these very tall like platform shoes clogs they're like they're wedges. not they're not supportive footwear for like urban outdoorsy type stuff <laughs> where the, like the sidewalks crack trying to get into these like hoarder houses that people need home care in and i was like look i can step through the rat feces with them nicely and they're not getting into my scrub bottom so that's nice and i didn't want to like mess up my good running shoes but oh that's true you'd have to put like booties on over them well i could wipe the dance goes down yeah with those like anti everything white bleach ones the, yeah the nice yeah the, the really we're not talking sandy cloth we're talking the the dispatch wipes that's the one that have like the bleach in them where they're like please wear two pairs of gloves right when there's you a picture these. of a baby that's crossed out on them because like you'll lose all Somebody your reproductive value if you touch or them. like i always was like did someone try to wipe a baby with them? <laughs> like i always please call, don't use these as baby wipes i always call them the anti-baby wipes <laughs> Because, like, if they get into your skin, then it's just like, well, you might end up with a problem. Yeah, you lose all fertility. It's fine. <laughs> Anyways, but now I wear, like, I have to wear, like, business casual, and I wear flats and stuff, and it's very much a different world. The life of an NP. Yeah, well, I I used to wear EMT, like, oh, the com- boots. combat-style boots with, like, steel yes. toes and everything, and I looked like a like man. Like, zippers on the side? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and trauma shears in the pockets and, I'm, like, these baggy I'm pants. I'm just saying. They're comfortable. Y'all just look badass. I mean, you just walk in, and you have, like, your pockets full of everything. And, you know, like, the little like, pen damn. lights, because, of course, you know, you have to. Some flashlights. Nothing says official like a flashlight on your belt. That's okay. I wear a fanny pack at work. So, (laughs) I mean, I don't know how professional that is when the tourist comes into your room and it's like, hey, I'm your nurse. Also, I have snacks in here. I don't have (laughs) snacks in my fanny pack. I might have some snacks. Well, anesthesiologists usually walk around with fanny packs, but they're fanny packs of drugs, which is pretty cool. I mean, I wish I had that. Maybe I'll be a CRNA. <laughs> yeah. And I'll just be like, this is the whole reason I went to school is so that I can put drugs in my pockets. <laughs> I've got granola bars and propofol. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I don't mix up the two. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe do. I don't know. <laughs> Shoot, that was not a milk box. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Milk of amnesia, as they say. <laughs> so we have been talking about like what you've been doing, but... In my podcast, we tell a lot of stories. Let's do it. Do you have any good stories that you haven't told in your podcast yet? I do. Um, but I guess keeping in your theme with being a little bit dark. <laughs> yeah, not a comedy I mean, podcast. Yours is no, pretty funny. I mean, I try to make it funny and lighthearted because it's like, God, I see so much bad stuff. But there are a few stories that I'm like, well, I'll reserve it for somebody else because I'm not telling it on mine. <laughs> So there you go. Just kidding. That's not why. But I just feel like it doesn't necessarily fit in sometimes with what I'm trying to get to. Yeah. yeah. So 
So, I mean, if if we could go there, I guess I could talk about, like, the first time I had a pediatric code and how horrible that was. Sure, if you want to. <laughs> I mean, don't feel obligated to tell something funny or tell something horribly tragic. But if you want to talk or about we it, go, we can talk about it. We could go with, um, I'm trying to think of, like, the patients that have had stuff stuck in them. Um, we've had a few golf balls. I guess there's the one with the apple, but um, <laughs> there was also a guy that got a branch stuck in his neck. I mean, why don't I go with the stuck ones? We'll go with the stuck ones. We'll make it a little bit more lighthearted. I got a stuck one. I got a good stuck one. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Let's go with stuck ones. Okay. So, so on my podcast, near the end, for Which the most is what? part on... Oh, People Are Wild. That's the podcast <laughs> that I host that I've remembered to, to plug. <laughs> Ding. The more you know, star flies around in the background. <laughs> so, I, I do... On most of my episodes, a few of them I slack on. I, I do a game at the end. I don't know if it's really a game. Uh, called You Got What Stuck Where, where I like to give people four clues and and describe a thing that actually happened to people that were reported in journals, the news. Not not anything that's like a HIPAA violation. Because, you know, we are in the land of HIPAA. I, I make sure that things are signed off. And, and like I said, they're either they were covered by the news, they're interviews with the actual person, or um, they're in journals. So so I do this game, You Got What's Stuck Where, where it's it talks about what people have gotten stuck in them. And they're not people that I've seen. They're usually, you know, different accounts. But we can talk about some of the stuff that I have seen stuck in people. Sure. Because I feel like in the emergency room... When you tell somebody, oh, yeah, I work in the emergency room, they they ask you a few different questions right off the bat if they're non-medical. Some of it being, what's the grossest thing you've seen? What's the strangest thing you've seen? What's the worst thing you've seen? It's usually those variations of those three questions. Mm -hmm. Um, So I usually, in order to not scar people with some of the worst stuff I've seen that's, like, emotionally devastating. Which is probably that PD code story. Yeah. Exactly. Like, that's the one you reserve for people who are like, well... Let's 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 talk over a glass of wine or something. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> but if you know, you know, I'm at a dinner party or whatever, I'm like, oh, let me tell you about the one time that this guy came in and he had an apple stuck up his butt. Because then people will be like, Oh, okay, this is what I wanted. This is exactly what I anticipated. You have to know your audience. It's true. It's very true. So that is actually when I was first starting out as an ER nurse. Um, we did get a ambulance call. It's also interesting in different ERs how they receive uh, radio uh, dispatch, that sort of stuff from from ambulances. Because in this one ER, we had like this big board, like a big whiteboard where you would write it in, so that if anybody walked by, they could see what's coming in. <laughs> in some of the other, in some of the other ERs I work at, it's just like a red phone that you pick up. And then, like, you just write it down, and then you hope somebody, like, sees it. <laughs> so <laughs> that's more of the rule ones where you're just like, oh, there might be an ambulance coming in. We don't know. Um, but but in a higher acuity and, and, and a faster-paced ER, more in those cities or, or in those somewhat just, you know, areas where you're the only ER, you, you see a lot of people. And so in this particular ER, there was on our board, like foreign object in body like somebody wrote like a shorthand for that but basically that's what they wrote on the board then they wrote the age of the person the sex and like how you know vital signs stable and that they'd be there in five minutes and it was just like okay like you don't pay that any mind you're just like what room is it going to is it one of my rooms because i don't know what to do in terms of 
Oh, because I was new. I was like, what do I do with this? Like, what do you mean? (laughs) It didn't go to my room, but I was helping to get it settled. So I was like, okay, I'll stand by. And so this, this patient comes in and he is in the prone position, which you, you always know that something good for the most part, is about to happen when a patient comes in on a stretcher in the prone position. Which is because you're just laying like, on their stomach. Which is laying on their stomach. Because most people come in laying on their back. It's a supine position. That's what you normally associate most people coming in with. But when they're on their stomach, you're like, something is amiss. Right. Like, something. Not good. Yeah, like a few, just to digress, a few of the people I've seen who come in prone have been, well, or on their side. Like, sometimes they're on their side because of pain, so you're like, well, maybe they're in pain, but this person wasn't necessarily in pain. Or pregnant. Or you could have the guy that was playing guitar on the stretcher, and he was playing Freebird on the way in, and we were like, is this guy drunk? Or is he just giving us a free show? I don't know. That was a whole different thing, but he was (laughs) laying on his side, too. So we're like, what is this guy here for? I don't know. Yeah, um, I don't think you could play the free bird prone. He was, he was, he was going for it. <laughs> um, and he did have a guitar. It wasn't just like air guitaring. It was an actual guitar. <laughs> Anyways, so this guy, though, this person that came in, they came in on their stomach. They came in in the prone position. And, you know, I'm helping to get them settled. And EMS gives us, like, starts giving us report. And it's one of those things where you, like, are getting report, but you're trying, like, to be professional during it. Yes. So they're like, this is a, a middle-aged male. You know, they gave the age, but we'll we'll try and make sure it's the land of HIPAA. So they're like, this is a middle-aged male who was hanging out with his friends, and they were on the dunes, and they were uh, hanging out, they were camping tonight, and they had been getting intoxicated, and, well, this gentleman ended up with an apple up his butt. And we are just like... Okay. Um, what are his vitals? Do you have a finger stick? What's his blood sugar? <laughs> like, you're just going through, like, everything, kind of, like, disregarding the whole actual reason why he's here. And they didn't say apple at the butt. They were like, he got an apple stuck up inside of him. And we were just like, okay. Uh, on purpose? Yep. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Just making sure that there's, there's that part, that that was on purpose. So, yeah. So, this guy so, like, was hanging out with his buddy. What? And what kind of apple? Is this like a Granny Smith or like a Red Delicious or a Macintosh? Because there's different sizes. Well, you know, I wanted to do follow up on that, but <laughs> I never got it. But the thing was that I guess they had been playing like a game. Like they had a contest. Is this what happens when men get together and they just like go out to the dunes? Is that they have a contest called What Can You Shove Up Your Ass? It's the old button apple game. I guess because they just were taking turns trying to shove things up there and then get them out and then he couldn't get it out and he was so drunk that he didn't really notice it for a while until like i guess he probably tried to actually get it out and then he realized that oh. was a pain problem mm. and it it probably hooked around that second part and then you know it's no man's land once it once it clears that that one sphincter in there it's just like I'm sorry, you need to go to the ER. That is a do not pass go situation. Like, you need some help. Do not pass anything, yeah. The guy ended up going to the OR. Um, They tried to manually uh, retrieve the object. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they did. They did sedate him for that a little bit because he was intoxicated. So obviously, you you need to be careful with what you use mm. and, and making sure that that person's not too compromised but he did actually end up going to the to the or and they had to remove it in pieces 
And I was like, did they give it back to the guy? Like, is that one of those situations where you're just like, here's what was in you. Do you want to take it home? Or do you just go, all right, we were successful in retrieving that object and we disposed of it accordingly. Like, do you put it in compost? <laughs> I feel like it should be composted in his yard I, and like grow a tree out of it or something. He's like, this apple tree came from my butt. Well, let me tell you how. <laughs> like <laughs> This one time. This would be a great story for him at a dinner party. But yeah, so that was like my first, like there would be in this ER because it was one of my first ER jobs that there were some moments where I was like, oh my God, like I'm actually working in an ER where, you know, you're like, it's high energy. There's this crazy code going on or this person's losing a lot of blood. That was the one of the funnier ones where I was just like, this actually happens. People actually do this. Like, <laughs> they come in with stuff stuck up their butt, and 100%, that was the beginning of what I would see later on down the line, because I've, to, I would say it to this day, like, I've seen the one apple from that person, um, and usually it's males, shockingly. I've seen two golf balls in different, different patients, um, so I've seen two patients who've had golf balls stuck in them. Um, of course, they slipped and fell, both of them, which is so crazy. This is why you should never golf naked. It's true. I, I just, <laughs> I'm blown away at what happens at 2 a.m. outside it, where it, it becomes an issue of having a golf ball stuck up there. And then, um, oh, there was one recently. Oh, yeah, we did have somebody who got a sex toy stuck in them. Um, so that was a 14-inch yeah, it was a 14-inch sex toy. It was a 14-inch dildo that was still vibrating. Oh, no. That had to have uh, the OR surgically remove that one. So um, that x-ray <laughs> that x-ray is great, but obviously, you know, th- people people were just like staring at it going, huh, it's really up there, isn't it? And the patient was uncomfortable, but well, actually was not in a lot of pain. They just wanted it out. So that's why you use a flare base. You use a flared base. Now, did they get did they get that sex toy back? I think they did. Like, I'm just like, mm, don't you just like... Can somebody out there answer that question? What do you do with objects you remove out of people? Like, do you give them the option before they go into surgery? Like, would you like it back? Or would you like us to dispose it? Or do you give it to them after surgery? Well, my dog got his, te- his puppy teeth removed when he was a puppy, and they gave them to me. It is not the same realm as an apple or a sex toy, but... Maybe. I guess it depends on the surgeon. I'm like, I mean, it's your personal property, right? Because it's like inside you. I think you've kind of claimed it as your own. Do you get that Titleist back? And I'm just kind of like, I mean. Again, what a terrible sponsorship for Titleist. (laughs) (laughs) We're putting Titleist on blast tonight. It's an embedded ad. (laughs) Deeply embedded. (laughs) It's a hole in one situation. Uh, (laughs) When you're like, oh, people with stuff stuck in them my my stories are not as jovial they're more impalements which is yes i did get one impalement too one was a guy who was you see how i got excited for that and <laughs> i got excited well, one one actually i'm not going to share it because i th- think it was a sexual assault um oh that's always that's hmm. yeah it was not good so i'm not going to tell that story <laughs> damn Oof. but the funny-ish uh impalement 
I, I'm pausing because it's it's amusing, sort of, but terrible for this guy. This guy was so nice. And I'm trying to remember if I told this story before on my podcast. I don't think I did because a lot of times I tell stories and I don't remember if I ever told them on the podcast or I tell them and then I cut them out. And then they, Welcome to my world. they don't get put in. And so I'm like, did I tell this? So this guy, this older gentleman was doing something on his roof and we get a call for man that fell off a roof or a fall, a significant fall. The guy falls off like a two or three story roof. And when we get there, the fire department is already putting him on a backboard. And I was like, wow, they're working. Like usually the fire department is not doing anything on a medical until you get there. And they were had only been there like they knew we were right behind them. So we were really surprised. And <laughs> we look at the fence and the fence is bloody. And it's one of those like um, wrought iron, like decorative fences with like the poles that stick up. The guy fell off the roof, straddled the fence through basically the perineum, Ooh. like right through his scrotum and then fell off the fence and landed on the ground and hit his head. No. Yeah. And so. That's a one, two punch. Yeah. And he was a really nice guy. And so. They always are. Yeah. And so. They always are when they have a rip scrotum. Yeah. And I went over and I talked to him as like we're boarding him. And the fire department goes, do you want to see his injury so you know what we're talking about? And they go, it's really bad. And of course, these are all men. And I'm the only female. And I was like, yeah. And they're all like, okay. And so like you expose the injury, which is what's left of his scrotum. And it was just this gaping hole. And I was like, okay, great. And so... (laughs) So actually, like his his butt cheeks were actually face. well, his butt cheeks were actually holding pressure and tamponade, really? and like we just shoved a bunch of ABD like the trauma pads up there, and yeah. they were holding pressure, and they were kind of like controlling the bleeding really, really well. So it was fine, and but a bunch of tissue had kind of come out with when I like exposed it just to take a look and make sure there was nothing else in there, and and then we got him on the board, and I'm talking to him, and I was like, "Do you have any pain?" He goes, "No, I think my toe hurts," and what's going on? Is my dog okay? And I was like, your dog's locked up, sir. And he's like, okay, uh, is my dog okay? And I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus, for head injuries. Because <laughs> Yay, perseveration. Yeah, he's like, I don't want my dog to get out. Is my dog okay? And we're like, your dog is okay. You're like, he's focus like, on that, though. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, you're not in any pain. No. Have, is my dog okay, though? And I'm like, okay, great. Yay. And so then we got him to... Uh, the big hospital and yeah he was he was okay yeah, he was at the age where the scrotal tissue was not going to be utilized too much anymore so ah. you know it was really it was like actually destructive just yeah just some reconstruction and i think we followed up later it was one of the few cases and i think he was like really missed all the major things and he was totally fine like but he, he was still it. able to pee okay yeah that's good i think i think he was all right but um i mean yeah he went into surgery right away but yeah, it was just, but he had like kind of a pretty big head injury. No bleed or anything. He just, you know, had a nice just concussion. Nice concussion, it. yeah. Yeah, he just concussed himself in the right <laughs> way. And it was like, okay, that time that someone got impaled on a fence through the scrotum. That's fun. <laughs> well, see, I always feel so frustrated working emergency is that I don't get follow up on people. And it's yeah. like years later, I'll start, up, well, especially with this podcast and stuff. 
you know, I'm thinking of topics and I go, gosh, I wonder what happened to that person. And you get no follow-up, which I feel like is yeah. a, lo- it's a little bit frustrating because some of these cases you're just like, I wonder what happened. Like, I, I hope that was a good prognosis. And then yeah. in a way, it's kind of good you don't get follow-up because sometimes you just make up your own. So you're just like, I'm going to just choose to believe everything came out okay. Right. And that you don't know the real family's history and you don't know the stories behind it. So you don't have an, as much of an emotional attachment to it. And literally the episode that I did where I talked about getting carbon monoxide poisoning recently, I went back and looked at a really horrific case. And I was like, no, this was terrible. This is a terrible idea. I am not doing this again because... No, it was their names. It was all about the family. I don't want to know that shit. I can't. There's thousands and thousands of calls like that. I can't have all of those ghosts hanging around my mind. No, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, we're we're human at the end of the day. It's like, yeah, you know, maybe for my my shift for from for what I have to do, I can be present. I could be professional. I could be 100% there. But my one friend she calls it coming back to yourself. Like the second you get into your car and you are leaving that parking lot and you have left the hospital, it's like you need to come back to yourself starting then. Like yeah. you you need to try as much as you can not to bring the things that you saw home with you. And sometimes you can't. And I mean, that's why you have your, whatever your coping mechanisms are, hopefully mostly healthy in place because it's like, you know, you will, you'll start, thinking about what happened to those people and that'll just lead you down that hole towards probably an unhappy resolution really yeah but actually going back to impalement and this one i do know the resolution to uh there was a younger men male that uh came into our er that they had stabilized but was not my patient and i remember somebody called on the call light and i was in a good spot so uh, you know i was right there and i i answered it what a nice nurse you are. You know, sometimes <laughs> I am. And uh, it's it's all about throughput. You have to press the buttons. You can't pass any call lights. <laughs> so I walk into the room and like, <laughs> just the, here's the scene is that this guy's on a call light and he waves over at me in the bed. And I just notice, I don't know why it took me two seconds, but I noticed like he had a branch sticking out of his neck, just like, just chilling there. And he was writing on a board whether or not, like, when he was going to surgery. So I go and find his nurse, and I'm like, number one, your patient wants to know why they're when they're going to go to surgery. Number two, what the fuck happened to your patient? Why did they have a branch in their neck? And the nurse was like, oh, well, he was riding an ATV, and he took some sort of turn, and the the traction gave whatever. She was like, I don't know how it happened. All I know is that he was thrown off his ATV into this, like, big old thing of bushes and his friends found him because he was he couldn't really move out of it and so they came up they found him and they were like dude you got a branch sticking out of your neck so (laughs) this whole thing happened like it's one of those one in a million shots and i guess when ems came on scene they cut down the branch enough so that it was still stable in his neck but it was literally like popping out of his neck and i was just like how did this kid not well he wasn't really a kid but i was like how did this guy not like nick something and she the nurse was like i don't know but i swear to you like he's the nicest guy i'm telling him not to talk and yeah and basically you know he'll be in surgery probably in the next 30 minutes i was like cool i'll go tell him and like part of the reason i was like i was like i'll go tell him is because i wanted to take a look at it again right yeah 
Suddenly, I'm very helpful. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'm like, what do you need in that room? Oh, yeah, I'll go and uh, be your witness for a consent. Um, So so he's like, he still has a lot of his like gear on because they were going to just take him into surgery as fast as they had a room ready. But I guess when they did their quick CT, they were like, yeah, he... He looks like he missed all the major vessels. I mean, his his vitals were fine, so obviously there wasn't anything emergent, emergent. But they're like, no, we got to get that out because yeah. it's resting against a lot of major vessels. So yeah, uh, that was like one of those weird impalements that I was just uh, another one of those. It was early on in my nursing career where I was in the ER part where I was just like, oh yeah, this is actually a thing that happens. And then this was before I think Grey's Anatomy and. I don't watch Grey's Anatomy, but I remember in nursing school, or no, so it wasn't it wasn't before Grey's Anatomy, but maybe this episode wasn't. I don't know, but I just remember reading about one episode where somebody got impaled on like some piece of metal or rebarb, and they had to like decide which one was like living and which one wasn't because oh, of the way that yeah. it angled. You know, it's dramatic, and I was like, that never happens. And then fast forward a few years later, and I was like, oh, people get impaled on stuff all the time. Never mind. <laughs> I'm sure it doesn't happen to the point where you have to decide if somebody is living or dying if two people are impaled. But I mean, that's that's actually kind of true. That you know, if you put enough force behind a tree branch, it can get lodged in you. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Which I was just like blown away by. But then I was like, well. It is what it is. But yeah, um, I did. I was able to get follow up from that nurse later on in the day. And she was like, yeah, he he made it through just fine. He's resting and he's recovered. And then they were able to remove it with pretty much no incident. He's just they had to clean it out really well. And obviously they had to watch for infection. But yeah, he had a good he had a good outcome as far as I know probably has like a really gnarly scar and a great story to tell. But a fantastic story. Yeah, he could be like, you want to know how I got this scar? <laughs> Buy me a drink first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I got a branch through the neck. What? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, those are some of, I guess, those those more, like, odd moments. And, yeah, I don't, I don't think I've really shared any of those stories with anybody. So, those are all yours. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Before we go, do you want to plug your podcast? Where oh, yeah. Where can we find you on social media? Sure. Okay, so... um. If you haven't gotten sick of me at this point, <laughs> um, I do have a podcast. It's People Are Wild. Basically, I keep it pretty short in terms of where you can find me. I have an email address, which is peoplearewildpod at gmail.com. And then on Twitter, it's at peoplearewild. I don't have a Facebook group. I don't have an Instagram. I I don't even really know what a Snapchat is. Um, I don't have any of that. It's pretty simple because I can only keep up with like one thing at a time. But the Twitter is pretty amazing. The Twitter is pretty lit, fam. Uh, <laughs> I have a lot of fun on Twitter, but I also learn a lot from a lot of different people. And we got connected on Twitter. So I, I, I can sing the praises of Twitter. <laughs> Plus, Twitter lets you use GIFs. So... It's almost always there's a gift for my emotions during a, any given shift. So, <laughs> but yeah, Twitter is fun. I probably spend a little bit too much time on there, but it's uh, it's basically where you can find me is on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of Twitter, the Antidotes Twitter is Antidotes Pod, and I have all the social medias, which I never am very good about updating, but it's Antidotes Podcast on Instagram. The Facebook page and group are Antidote Stories in Medicine Podcast Group or page, but the group is way better. 
And of course, you can always email me at antidotespodcast at gmail.com. I am always looking for more guests. If you are interested, please reach out to me. I would love to hear from you. Thank you again to Peter Hopkins for the custom intro music. And it is so good to be back. Please keep sharing the podcast, keep leaving reviews, keep interacting on social media. It is really wonderful to hear from everybody. Have a good week and I will see you next time.